Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, as well as chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And it reads as follows. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were, not ser that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is God's word to us. You know, when you first meet someone, when you're first meeting someone and you're greeting that person, there are three common introductory questions that eventually you get to, right? The first one is, what is your name? Where are you from? And what do you do? What is your name? Where are you from? And what do you do? And we ask these questions because these questions begin to give us some insight in the person that we are meeting. These are the questions that begin to fill in for us the identity of this new person. And to some degree or another, these help us. They help us to, to shape our understanding and help us to know who we are. You ask me my name, and my name speaks to my history, my, my family, and my lineage. You ask me where I am from, 
And that gives you some insight into my culture, into my upbringing, into my influence. You ask me what I do, and then that gives you a sense of my purpose and my contribution to the world. And so these are some of the very important identifiers of who we are, of who I am. Now, obviously, who I am is more than these things, but, beloved, they are never less than these things. As you seek to get to know who I am, identity is important. Identity gives us confidence. We know who we are. We know where we come from. We're confident in what we're doing. Identity gives us confidence, but it doesn't just give us confidence. Identity also serves as a ground of community. It places us amongst people that we can trust, that we can rely on, that know us and we know them. So it gives us some, a sense of confidence. It gives us a sense of community. And in fact, in the Bible, one of the ways, one of the ways that Christianity is communicated to us is that it is revealing for us that we now have a new identity. We have a new identity. To be in Christ, which is the Bible's favorite way of speaking of Christians, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that I am in Christ. And to be in Christ means that you now have a new identity. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, right? Therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is a new identity for anyone who is in Christ. And therefore, who I am in Christ now defines who I am in the world. It is that which now is most important to who I am and how I now live. It's what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. The Apostle Paul made this plain when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul, the Apostle, is saying here under the inspiration of, of Holy Spirit is that to know me is to know that I belong to Christ. To know me is to know that I belong to Christ. To know me is to know that Christ is in me and Christ now informs how I now live in this world. Primarily. Primarily, that's it. And this is the message, beloved. This is the message of First Peter. This is the message that the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of Holy Spirit, is sending out to his 
fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as they are dispersed across the land. And enduring much trouble and hardship, indeed having their identities call into question and how they are to live faithfully with this new identity, Peter writes this epistle to them. He writes this letter to them to encourage them, to give them hope. And this is what we want to do over the next several months, if God would be pleased, and that is to explore the message of this epistle and explore the hope that it gives to us as we, in our new identity, live out that identity in this world. What does it mean to live out being in Christ. Who was Peter? This, this epistle was written by the apostle of Peter. And we know Peter. Anybody who's familiar with the Bible to any degree or another is familiar with the name <clears throat> the apostle of Peter. In fact, his name is the most prominent among all of the uh, apostles, and we know more about Peter than we know about anyone, say, Jesus and the apostle Paul. But amongst those 12 that Jesus called as he was going about his ministry in Galilee, Peter was the most prominent. Whenever you see the list of the name, names of the apostles, the 12 original disciples listed, Peter's name is always first. He was the most prominent of the, the 12. He was given the name Simon Bar-Jonah. That was his father, Jonah, Simon, the son of Jonah. His, his brother's name was Andrew. The Bible tells us that it was Andrew who actually introduced Peter to Jesus. He was an ordinary man. He was a fisherman. He, was, he had an ordinary occupation. And that gives us some insight then in how he can speak to us as ordinary people. He was a married man amongst all of the disciples, and that's going to give some fuel to his comments on the family. He was named Simon but his, by his parents, but he was renamed Peter by Jesus. Peter meaning stone or rock. He was the most outspoken of the, the disciples, and, and therefore, while that gave him some prominence amongst the disciples, it also opened him up for rebuke. Those of us who make our living with our mouths know what that means. Amen. He was a preacher. He was a Pentecostal preacher. You see that in Acts chapter 2? He was a Holy Ghost-filled preacher. He was a leader in the early church there in Jerusalem. And he died a martyr's death. Tradition tells us that they went out and they set out to crucify Peter. And Peter, not 
desiring to show himself even worthy of suffering like Christ, asked if they would crucify him upside down. And tradition tells us that he did, they did so in approximately A.D. 67 or 68. And just two years prior to his death, we understand that he wrote the words of this first epistle. And he wrote it. He wrote it to Christians. He wrote it to Christians like you and I. He wrote it to Christians who were struggling to live out their faith in a faithless world. He wrote it to Christians who were seeking to be faithful in a world that was antagonistic to them. Now, beloved, it's important as we begin to study 1 Peter that we understand that the world is antagonistic to you. And if you don't think that the world is antagonistic to you, then you have already lost the battle. You've already been defeated. This world, as we will see, Peter will remind us, this world is not our home. This world is not our friend. And the closer you get to conforming to the world, the further you move from being conformed to Christ. And the closer you get to being conformed to Christ, the further and further you are being removed from conforming to this world. This world is antagonistic to Christians. And it is important that you and I understand that. If we are going to live out the faith that we profess, faithfully. Peter understood this. And so what we have in the Bible, beloved, is two Peters. We have two Peters in the Scriptures. We have the old Peter and we have the new Peter. We have the old Peter and then we have the Peter who has a new identity. And this should be true of all of us, but we can actually see it in the life of Peter as we read the accounts of his lives in the scriptures. The old Peter was a fisherman. The new Peter was a fisher of men. The, the, the old Peter was proud. The new Peter, as we will see, was humbled. The old Peter was impetuous, but the new Peter was careful. The old Peter was brash and boastful, but the new Peter was thoughtful and encouraging. The old Peter denied Christ, but the new Peter proclaimed Christ. The old Peter refused the cross, but the new Peter embraced the cross. The old Peter ran away from suffering. The new Peter saw suffering as reflecting his calling in Jesus. What we have here, beloved, in the first epistle of 
the Apostle Peter is the heartfelt, spirit-inspired, Christ-centered thoughts of the new Peter. The new Peter. The Peter who understood his identity in Christ and therefore was seeking to faithfully live for him. And this, 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 this is what we will have the joy of unpacking and discovering over the next several months. Our identity in Christ, the new person, and why that matters, and why it matters. And this epistle, this epistle will go a, a long way in answering three questions for us, three identity questions. And we'll be coming back to these questions again and again, but let's just give an overview of these three questions for the rest of our time together this morning. And these three things, again, we will be coming back to, and they will form the basis of our discussion and contemplation over the next three or uh, four months. And what are these questions? Well, the first one is, who were you? Who were you? The second one is, who are you? And the third one is, who will you be? Who were you? Who are you? And who will you be? Who were you? Who were you? This, beloved, this is the question that lays the foundation for faithfully living out the Christian life. To be a faithful Christian in this world, you must first come to grips with who you were. Who you were. Understanding and admitting and acknowledging who you were provides motivation for living now who I am. What I mean by that in a sentence, okay, is that grace and mercy fuels the Christian life. But you got to understand why grace and mercy was necessary. And why you have been the recipients of God's grace and mercy. And when you understand that, that fuels your living faithfully in this world. The reason that we cease to live faithfully in this world is because we forget who we were. But this morning, we're going to talk again about it. Who were you? Because it's going to fuel you, as, as, as uncomfortable as it is at times, to admit. But when you admit it, it fuels faithfulness. It did for the Apostle Paul. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And then what does he go on to say? But I, I ran them all. 
Because I know how unworthy I was. And I outran them all because of the grace and the mercy of God to me. This fueled his life. He says again in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, right? Even though once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. That's the view. The mercy of God. The grace of God. Acknowledging who I was. Where I came from. And Peter picks up on this theme as well, beloved. And he reminds us that we were unworthy and unwanted sinners. That's who you were. Unworthy and unwanted. Peter wrote to Christians. He wrote to Christians in difficult times, struggling to find hope in a seemingly hopeless world. And in order to do that, you know what he does? He doesn't sugarcoat their former lives. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He tells them that you were rebellious and you were enslaved to sinful ways. And, and, and 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, see what the Bible says. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from what? The empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors. You come from emptiness. That word emptiness there means vanity. Nothing. The word literally means worthless as we shall see as we get to that passage of Scripture, he says, you were living a worthless life that was handed down to you from your ancestors. That's where you came from. As far as heaven was concerned, you had no name. As far as heaven was concerned, your way of life was empty and worthless. This is what you have been redeemed from, beloved. Not only, not only were you rebellious and enslaved to worthless and sinful ways, but you were foreigners and strangers. That's what it says, right? In chapter 2, verse 10 of 1 Peter. Once you were not a people. I mean, <laughs> you were not even a blip on God's radar as far as his people are concerned. You were not a people. Not only were you not a people, but once you had not been the recipient of any kind of mercy of his. You were not a people you were not the recipients of his mercy. You were foreigners. You were strangers. You were aliens to all of his promises, to all of his covenant, to all of his blessings. 
fact, he says, you were in darkness and sin. In verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a parable, uh, and a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who did what? Called you out of darkness. Now let me tell you how dark the darkness was. It was so dark that you didn't even know it was dark. I mean, it's like a fish in water. The fish doesn't know it's wet. Because the fish doesn't know anything but water. And you and I was in a darkness so deep that we didn't even know it was darkness. It was just what it was. And God sent Christ to redeem you, not with worthless things, not with silver or gold, not even with the blood of goats, but he sent Christ and his precious blood and redeemed the strangers and called that which was in darkness out of darkness and behold into his marvelous light. That's, 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 that's who we were. Beloved, it is important, it is important that we do not play fast and loose with our former lives. Admit it. Acknowledge it. Because when you do, beloved, when you do, you will find that it fuels faithfulness. Causes you to want to run. Don't play fast and loose with it, beloved. Acknowledge and realize who you were. And Peter's going to remind us again and again of who we were. And then he's also going to tell us who we are. He doesn't just leave us there because that's the story, but that's not the end of the story, beloved. Who you were is not the end of the story. Peter's going to say, okay, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Because no matter, beloved, no matter what you used to be, no matter what you used to be, and that is some terrible things, no matter what you used to be, the important thing is who you are. The important thing is who you are, who you are in Christ. You are now Christian. You are now holy. You are now chosen. You are now saint. You are saint. You are a selected saint. Okay? You are a selected saint. You are chosen by God. God chose you for love. God chose you for life. Beloved, understand this. When I say selected saint, no one is a Christian by accident. Okay? There are no accidental Christians. 
No one is a Christian by accident. God chooses his own. God doesn't have natural children. You see that? God doesn't have natural children. God has supernatural children. All of his children are adopted. All of his children are selected. He didn't just come home and say, honey, guess what? We pregnant. No, it wasn't like, there ain't no surprises here. God chose you. There are no accidental Christians, beloved. He selects his own and all of his children are here by adoption. We're all his. And Peter's quick to remind his readers of that. He does that in the very first verse. How important is this? Peter reminds us of this in the very first verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. To those who are the chosen of God. To those who are the elect of God. He reminds us, too, in verse 9 of chapter 2 again. But you are a chosen race. A chosen race. It's the same word. An elect race. And a divinely selected race of people. God has brought you into a race of people that he selected one by one. If you are in Christ this morning, God chose you. And here's the thing, beloved. God didn't choose you in ignorance. You know, it's not like there was some secret file on you that they didn't show him. You understand that? You're not going to be, you're not going to stand before any senate and then they come up with some charges against you. That's not going to happen in the last hour. That's not going to happen. God knows it all. And still, you got selected. And still, you were selected. I, I'm amazed by that, beloved, because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you knew everything about this man, you'd be scrambling to find a new pastor. But then again, if I knew everything about each of you, I'd be scrambling for a new church. God isn't scrambling for new children. And he knows everything. He chose you. He chose you for love. He chose you for life. And the reason he chose you 
is because he chose Christ. That's what the Bible says in chapter 2 and verse 4. This becomes the basis of your choice now. Christ is the chosen one. Christ was the stone in verse 4 of chapter 2 that the builders rejected. But God chose him to build the eternal home. And by building Christ as the eternal home, has chosen you and I as children in that house. And for him to no longer choose you, for you to no longer be his choice, he would have to also unchoose Christ. Because you were chosen in him. So you, who, who are you now? You are selected saints. Okay? Isn't that good news? Isn't that wonderful news? But that's not all the news. Because not only are you selected saints, but you are also suffering saints. This is the message that Peter wants to remind us that we have been chosen and part of that, cho that God choosing us is that he chooses us for suffering. We are suffering saints. Enduring suffering is a, a major theme in Peter's epistle. And it is a major theme in Peter's epistle because, beloved, it is a major theme in the lives of those to whom he is writing this letter. And as we go through this letter, it will come up again and again and again. And the reason it comes up again and again and again is because it is not just a major theme in the lives of those who first received this letter, but it has been a major theme in the lives of Christians throughout the ages. And it is a major theme in our lives today. We're not going to shy away from it. Peter will teach us several things if we are careful and if we are listening and if we are here. He will teach us several things going forward about this suffering that we'll be called to. First of all, he's going to remind us that we suffer like Christ. I mean, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, for to this you have been called, this suffering, this endurance, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you doing what? Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And when we suffer, Peter's going to instruct us and we're going to be reminded that we are selected saints, but we are selected also to suffer and we do this like Christ. And not only do we suffer like Christ, but we suffer as Christians. We suffer as Christians. Chapter 4 and verse 16, 1 Peter. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. To be a Christian in this world, remember we acknowledge and we establish that the world is antagonistic to Christians. Those who are going to faithfully live out their lives, this world is not your friend. In fact, the Bible says it is your enemy. 
And the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to attack you because of who you now are. And you will suffer and endure because you're a Christian. And if you never suffer for being a Christian, you might need to question the legitimacy of that Christianity. We're going to unpack that. We'll, we suffer like Christ. We suffer as Christians. We suffer in community. This is so important for us to understand, beloved. We suffer in community. Chapter 5 and verse 9. Chapter 5 and verse 9. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering being experienced by your, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I know, you know what the temptation is to think that when you are going through something that you're the only one who's going through that? The temptation is to think that when you are going through something that you are the only one at that moment going through it. But the fact of the matter is that you have brothers and sisters all over the world who are enduring similar circumstances, if not worse ones, beloved. There will be brothers and sisters in the church who are enduring similar trials. Don't isolate yourself. Don't think you're the only one. Don't think all of a sudden Satan is picking on you. He's picking on all of us. That's why you got to stay in community. That's why we have to stay together. God intends us to suffer like Christians. We are, we are to suffer like Christ. We're going to suffer in community. And we suffer also, lastly here, we suffer with eternity in view. Okay? We suffer with eternity in view. In verse 10 of chapter 5. And after you have suffered a little while. Did you hear what that said? Peter, how, you, how, long you, how, how do you know how long I've been suffering? Peter said, I don't care. It's just a little while. It's just a little while. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you, who has chosen you, who has elected and selected you to his eternal glory in Christ. You know what he's going to do? He's going to restore you. He's going to confirm you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to establish you. You know what Peter will teach us, beloved, if we are open to being taught? You know what Peter will teach us? Peter will teach us how to suffer well. You got to be open to being taught, though. He's going to teach us, if we will listen, how to suffer well, how to rejoice in the midst of trial. Now, this is not easy, beloved. And as we will see, as we unpack this, 
This is not easy. Suffering well is strange. Suffering well is strange. It is strange. And, and when we see people enduring hardships and still rejoicing, when we see people suffering loss and still praising God, we think something's wrong with them. It's a strange thing to us. We think that something is out of whack. We think they're being fake. We think they're being phony. We accuse them of being dishonest with their feelings. We say you're in denial. But perhaps, beloved, maybe they're not being fake. Maybe they're just trying to be faithful. Maybe they're not in denial. Maybe it's us denying what the Bible says. God would not command us to rejoice in the midst of suffering if he didn't give us the power to do so. It is possible. By the power of his Holy Spirit to suffer well. And when we see it, let us not think it's strange, beloved. But let us give praise to God and ask for similar grace when we go through. Praise God that there are those among us who testify that God is faithful and can give peace in the midst of trial. It's possible, beloved. And so what Peter wants us to do is get some perspective. Get perspective. Get perspective on your trial. How do you relate? How do you relate to your troubles? How do you relate to your trials? Are you putting your trials in the proper context? In the context of other Christians? So that you realize that you're not the only one. So you realize that others are going through too. Put them in the proper context. Are you putting it in the context of not other only Christians? Are you putting it in the context of Christ? Who suffered for you? Who suffered far beyond what you are going to have to endure in this life? And gave you an example so that you would follow in his footsteps. Are you putting it in the context of other Christians? Are you putting it in the context of Christ? And then are you putting it in the context of eternity? Are you realizing that whatever affliction you and I are enduring, and beloved, they are, they are many, and we don't make light of them, but the Bible says that they are momentary afflictions. And I don't like when the Bible says that, but God didn't ask me what he wanted to call them. That's what he called them. Peter says, a little while. A little while. Are you putting it in that context? In context of other Christians, the context of Christ, and the context of eternity. 
And Peter reminds us that's who we are. That's what we do. <laughs> that's who we are. That's what we do. We know he's going to teach us who we were. He tells us that's who we are. And then lastly, he's, he's going to remind us of what we, or who we will become. We are suffering saints right now. But Peter is going to remind us that we will be glorified saints soon. We will be glorified saints soon. And so Peter encourages us to hold on. He encourages us to endure. Reminds us that we are moving from, from cross to glory. We are moving from suffering to celebration. You are saved, beloved. You are saved. Okay? You are saved. You're a Christian this morning. You are saved. But the fullness of your salvation has not yet been revealed. You know, it's only just begun. Endure. Hold on. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, I mean, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 and 7, 5 through 7, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be ready to be revealed in the last time. You are saved, but there is a fullness of salvation that is still yet to be revealed. Hold on. Endure. Be patient. For in this, in this, he says what? Rejoice. Rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Rejoice, even though for a little while things are uncomfortable and the world is pricking you and picking you and peeling at you so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've said it before. We say it again. You are saved, but those who are really saved are those who are saved in the end. Rejoice that the Lord is going to get you to the end despite what various sufferings and trials you have today. A painful humiliation in this life, beloved. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 reminds us that it's ultimately going to give way to his glorious exaltation. That's why the Bible says, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that in proper time he may exalt you. He's going to do it, beloved. He's going to do it. You just hold on. Just hold on. Humble yourselves under, under the mighty hand of God. Why? Because glory is coming. Glory is coming. And those who suffer with Christ will rejoice with Christ. Joy is coming. Chapter 4 and verse 13. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering. Rejoice. Insofar as you are called to share in his sufferings. Why? That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
you share in his suffering, you will also be part of his joy. Don't forsake the joy later because you believe you can't endure the trouble now. You can, beloved. And Peter will show us you can. Don't give up. Don't give in. You will be vindicated. You will be restored. For after you have suffered a little while, as it says in chapter 5 and verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God, God himself is going to vindicate you. You hold on. You hold on. Peter reminds us that we are in this world. And yet, this world does not define who we are. so that we don't live our lives, beloved, as if this world is all there is. Okay? Somebody says, and I'm sure you've heard it, somebody probably told you, live like there is no tomorrow. Beloved, don't you live your life like there is no tomorrow. There is a tomorrow. And tomorrow you're going to meet Jesus. And you live, life, you live your life like tomorrow you can meet Jesus. Because one day that tomorrow is coming. There is a tomorrow for the Christian. And that tomorrow is beholding the face of Christ. What will he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into the joy of the Lord. Is that what you're hoping to hear tomorrow? Then don't live like there's no tomorrow. You live like that day is coming. And it may be tomorrow. This is what the Apostle John says. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. But what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That's it. That's who I'm going to be. That's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be like Christ when he comes. But beloved, that's not only who I'm going to be. That's who I am now. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me, the hope of glory. That is my identity now, because that will be my identity for all eternity. If I am a Christian, I am in Christ, and that is my primary identity. That's who I am. That's who I am. And I know, I know this world, this world is keen on categories. This world is keen on labels, and it is keen on putting you and me into certain groups. And it puts us in these groups 
so that it can more readily understand or identify you and me. And so we have a lot of groups, have a lot of tribes, they call them. And they put people in that we identify with, right? You got black people over here, white people over here, Republican over here, Democrat over here, men over here, women over here, Reformed people over there, Armenian people over here, Catholic people over there, Protestant people over here, Baptist people over there, Pentecostal people over here, rich, poor, young, old, baby boomer, millennial, all these groups, all these categories, all these tribes, and you know what? Every tribe and group has a cause. Everybody's got a cause. Every tribe has an agenda. Every group feels oppressed. Every group feels neglected. Every group feels trampled on and dismissed. Every tribe feels like they need to fight for their rights. Every tribe feels they need to be heard. I get it. I get it. And I understand, beloved, but I want to suggest to you this morning that I can take or leave any of those tribes. The only tribe that really ultimately matters to me is a tribe called Christ. A tribe called Christ. Can I kick it? Can I kick it? A tribe called Christ. That's all that matters. Are you a Christian this morning? Are you a Christian this morning? Let me see your hand. Are you a Christian this morning? Say amen. amen. Are you a Christian this morning? Say amen. amen. So then when you come and ask me, what's my name? My name is Christian. Where are you from? I'm from East Point Church. And what do you do? I give praise to Jesus Christ. That's who I am. What's my name? My name is Christian. Where are you from? I'm from East Point, particularly East Point Church. And what do you do? I give praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who I am. You want to know me? You got to know him. And you get to know me, it ain't going to be long before you go find out who he is. I belong to him. That's our identity, beloved. That's what we're going to be unpacking. The Lord gives us grace and peace and space for the next few months. Let us pray.